Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 150 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Round numbers. Yeah. That's like a a jazz beginning. (laughs) Scat, 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 scat. What's up? How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm super excited about life in general. Yeah. Yeah. How 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 are how are you? Any anything since we last talked yesterday? Even though the users don't know that or the listeners. No. <laughs> By the time you listen to this, I will not be here. That's that's. <laughs> I'll be true. in Rhode Island, but yeah. That's true. You so. are going to be in Rhode Island. I'll be here, on in real time Monday, listening to this. When you are listening to this, Monday's a holiday, so no, you won't. I won't be here, guys. <laughs> I'll be in Cincinnati. I'm going. Um, let's just talk. Sure. <laughs> Uh, our good friend Christina, who comes on the podcast all the time, um, if you can't p- place her, she's the one who says, hello, hi, hi, hello. Uh, her husband and her and my wife and I are going down to Cincinnati, where her family's from. We're going to have a fun weekend in, in in Cincinnati. I almost said Rhode Island, where you're going to be. Wow, it is a holiday. It is a holiday. Exciting. Man, none of this is important. <laughs> Tell us about today's episode. Oh, Adam. I was going to make you do that. Okay, so today's episode is an interview we did with E. Lockhart. So long ago, we've held on to this episode for a really we long time. Have. So E came to one of our local library branches. Was it in the spring? I was think it last so. Fall? It, was a, it, was like, it was a while ago. Anyway, she came there, and it was kind of an interesting time because she wrote "We Were Liars," and that was a massive success, and everyone in the world has read it. And then she has her next book coming out called Genuine Fraud, which comes out when this comes out tomorrow, I think, technically. Or is it out right now? I don't remember. That's okay. Either way, you can go on your Overdrive, you know, library list and you'll you'll see the book there. But she, but when she was coming to the library, the book was coming out so far in advance. We're like, well, we don't want to not let people know about the book and then not be able to read it for months and months and months. So... We did talk a little bit about We Were Liars and a little bit about Genuine Fraud um, because we didn't know what else to do. That's the sound in my computer, you guys. That's not professional. <laughs> um, but she was so much fun. She was so fun. Yeah. And she was like a little bit body and and I mentioned this in the previous episode, but just as a heads up, she does drop one F-bomb. I left it in because it's literally the only swear word I think she says, but... Yeah, it was cool. And we were in a giant, if I remember correctly, we were in like a giant room. Like uh, a big... It was pretty big. Mm-hmm. It was it was a, like a conference room they put us in, yeah. the three of us. So I, she was awesome. Yeah, I, it was well, fun. A lot of fun. And I'm glad you guys can finally get to hear it because I hate having amazing conversations with authors and then being like, guys, I want to tell you everything about the, oh, wait. You'll hear it in six months. Yeah, we have a couple more of those we're holding on to mm-hmm. for uh, January. Like, we're already planning that far ahead, you guys. Yeah, be proud of us because we did not <laughs> used to do this. We have one for March. We do have one for March, that's right. Because the book got pushed back. Yeah. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at profession... Oh, my God. How many I'm times just... have we done this? <laughs> Twitter, at ProBookNerds. Email, <laughs> professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. <laughs> yes, you can. Please do that. Um, if you haven't reached out to us yet, send us messages if you've listened to the previous episode because I want to know what books you're excited about for September and I want to know if you loved or hated our gabbing about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones gab. I'm gonna, Even if you loved it, we can't talk about more Game of Thrones. 
for two years. But yeah. Yeah. So uh, anything else people should know about before they listen to this interview? I don't think so. All right, cool. Well, I'm so excited for you guys to hear E. Lockhart talk about Genuine Fraud and We Were Liars. They're both spectacular books that I think you should all read. So go ahead and enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam and Joe from Team Overdrive. And today we're joined by E. Lockhart, who is the author of eight young adult novels, including the best-selling worldwide phenomenon, We Were Liars. She has a doctorate in English literature from Columbia University and has taught composition, literature, and creative writing. Her books have been translated into 10 different languages, and her latest book, Genuine Fraud, comes out this September and is available for pre-sale now for our library friends. E, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So normally we ask authors at the beginning of our podcast, can you give us a little bit of information about you know the book that we're going to talk about? So like we were liars, but I know for a fact that there's a very specific marketing aura around we were liars where you don't like to give listeners and readers too much information ahead of time. So can you give us as much of a pitch about we were liars as you're comfortable doing? Yes, uh, we were liars is sat on a private island mm-hmm. off the coast of Massachusetts. And this island is owned by a man named Harris Sinclair, who has three beautiful daughters, like the princesses in a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And those daughters have grown up, and they have had their own children. And so this family summers year after year on this island, and during the rest of the year they go away um, to their own lives, and then they come back together summer after summer after Mm -hmm. summer and so I was really interested in that setting of the private island and what it would be like to be a teenager in this family Mm -hmm. that is so um, isolated from the rest of the world for such large portions of its existence Mm -hmm. and that kind of um, fairy tale setup of of the three daughters and the kingdom mm-hmm. and what it would be like to be another generation in a in a family like that sure so some of the the promotion around the book is really unique in that you know we've seen videos of you or marketing people saying if someone asks what the book is about to lie like where did that idea kind of come from and because it seems to work with the, the context of the book well, that's good to hear. That's yeah. good to hear. Uh, well, I think we just felt that this book, um, well, I'll say I, all my other books are comedies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I write young adult fiction, and I would describe all of my books prior to We Were Liars as kind of socially conscious comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, and We Were Liars is not that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was a, a departure, but still for the same audience of readers, mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're defining audience by age category. Right. right. So we were casting about as to, you know, what would be the best way to kind of find me some new readers that I might not have had before with the comedies. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. That's what no, we decided. That... We decided not to say anything about the book. No, no. I think that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and honest, the, my favorite thing about it is, you know, you guys telling people, yeah, just if someone asks you what it's about, just lie. Like that's that's one. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing entirely, especially in, a, in nowadays. Like the book came out several years ago, and you still, it, you're hard pressed if you wanted to like look for spoilers. You're hard pressed to you find to them because people yeah. are like, no, you have to read it to yourself. Read book, so yeah. it blows me away that it actually like. I love that everyone got on board and was like, yeah, we can get behind this idea of just lying to people. It's wonderful. Well, I think people really like to share a secret. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you create the secret as as fun, yes. right, and, and the, the being in on the secret as fun, and I think Random House, you know, in their marketing plan did a really good job of that. Um, and I can't really take any credit for any of that. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's an invitation to to you know come over here and have this fun secret with mm-hmm. us. And so some of the fun is in is in you know refusing to spoil it for other people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned you know a lot of I mean, all the other books that you have are they're comedies, and I, I think I've seen you say that you know, Johnny, who's kind of the comic relief in We Were Liars, was your favorite part to write about that particular book. So when you're writing, is is comedy just where you're most comfortable is that just your personality coming through or I guess what is it about writing comedy that you enjoy so much well I'm not I'm not especially funny in (laughs) in conversation Mm -hmm. and I had this moment as a young person and as a young writer when I was in my 20s and I was starting to try to write creatively I was working on my dissertation and also trying to escape mm-hmm. um, academia because I was on this track to become an English professor. And I had this boyfriend that I was going out with for a while and he was in a kind of scene full of literary people who mm-hmm. were, a lot of them writing for the New Yorker and a lot of them were very witty and like kind of people who kind of hold court at a dinner party. <laughs> right. Very raconteurs. Uh-huh. And they were fun people to be around. And I remember we left exactly such a party where people had been kind of holding forth and he said something like, you and I were not in that league. Or something. I, I can't remember what he, I mean, he was grouping me with him. Yeah. And, he didn't, oh. and I, in my mind, thought, we have to break up now because I'm fucking hilarious and you don't know it. And But I don't hold forth at a dinner party. Right. And, uh, and I realized that, you know, I was not hilarious with him. Right. I was hilarious with certain friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Who found me hilarious, and I found myself <laughs> hilarious with them. Mm-hmm. But it was actually a great turning point. Besides the fact that I knew I needed to break up with my boyfriend, <laughs> but also that I thought I am funny, mm-hmm. but th- nobody knows it, mm-hmm. right? So how is that? Yeah. Like, so to access that in my writing became a matter of accessing how I felt when I was with those friends. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? To mm-hmm. think about those high school friends that I had who just brought out the funny in me. And, you know, those people that if you had any kind of good high school experience, you had people who just cracked you up. Right. And, and, and you used to laugh so hard that, you know, all the popcorn came out of your nose mm-hmm. and things. And so to remember that and to try to write, you know, almost with those people sort of 
imagining, you know, imagining those people sitting next mm-hmm. to me or, you know, um, that was a kind of a breakthrough for me writing. And that is, I think, part of why I wrote YA, yeah. you know, is that it, it was going back to the time and those people when I was funny and I had to go back a ways to, mm-hmm. to find that in myself. I would read an entire short story by you just building up to that party and then you ending it with like, well, we're, we're, we're done. I'm hilarious. This is it. I know. Uh, I did, sadly did not, you know, break up with him that night. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Sometimes it takes time. Um, so your father was a playwright, is that correct? He is a playwright, yes. He is a playwright. And is that sort of where you've gotten your creative spirit of being a writer and wanting to be a storyteller? I think so. My parents were divorced when I was very young, and I would spend summers with my dad, but it was the 70s, so you didn't get a babysitter when you went to work. You just went to work with your mm-hmm. dad. You know, your dad just brought you to work. And so this was sometimes very boring. He was a professor at NYU, and I would sit in his office while he taught class. Mm-hmm. But it was also sometimes fascinating because he would be in rehearsal. So I then would, you know, six days a week, eight hours a day, sit in the back of a rehearsal studio mm-hmm. and sometimes I would just read a book and ignore it but a lot of times I would watch mm-hmm. and it was a real um, education about uh, you know writing and rewriting and tone of voice and the you know the, you'd see the uh, creative process right mm-hmm. in front of you and see how something changes and how it looks different when an actor delivers a line differently and when a light designer comes in and when the costume designer comes in and they'd switch the costumes out and the thing would seem different and they'd switch the staging and the thing would seem different and um, so I think that was a very good grounding in you know what it means to to make something mm-hmm. that is a story um, yeah yeah um, I don't want to say specifically growing up in, in a theater but spending a lot of time as a, a youth in the theater do do you find yourself still being a theater fan today Oh, yeah, I'm a big theater fan. Okay. And I married a theater director, so I get to kind of keep my, <laughs> my toe in that way. Okay, so you're sitting with two theater nerds, oh, so yeah? we just love asking. Do you, do you have favorite shows that you would love talking about just for a few seconds? Oh, uh, well, I, well, yeah, I guess I do. Can I, right? I just saw some duds that I don't want to mention on the podcast. <laughs> oh, we can talk about those later. Um, well, I love musicals. I'm yes. a big musical person. So, um I my I have a book that's out of print that's probably in the library system, there but it's go. not easy to get any other way. Called Drama Rama, mm-hmm. and it just got reissued in the UK, which is the biggest musical theater geek book mm-hmm. ever. And um, it's about I spent three years at summer drama camp, and I can sort of combine them all into one hot summer of jazz hands, and <laughs> they do they do cats, and they do guys and dolls, mm-hmm. and they do uh, showboat and they do there's a lot of stuff about Jekyll and Hyde uh-huh. in there they do um, oh anyway a lot a lot of shows and uh, mm-hmm. it's a little dated now because mm-hmm. I feel like if I could if I was writing the same book now it would be you know Jersey Boys was new when, uh-huh. I, right. when I put that uh, book out um, so I love a good musical yes and um, I saw Color Purple recently, which mm-hmm. I did not expect to love as much as uh-huh. I did. And then I just adored it with my whole heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I had loved the book, and I don't always love adaptations right. of right. books that I yep. love. 
And it also seemed sad for a musical. And I was like, well, I'm not going to like the yeah, sad musical. That is true. Like, have a great book. It's yeah. going to be no good. And then it was ecstatic. Have mm-hmm. you seen it? Mm-hmm. No, we have not. So we actually, in Cleveland, uh, we have a theater district. It's called Playhouse Square. It's the second largest theater district outside of New York City in the country. And a lot of people don't know oh, that. Amazing. We gush about it a lot on our we podcast. Do. But um, we get a Broadway series of shows that come. Like next year, we're getting Hamilton and Aladdin and Waitress. And we get a whole bunch of really wonderful shows. But Color Purple hasn't come yet, so uh, I was hoping it would come. Yeah. I was hoping it would come in this too, next season, but, but yeah, not yet. So, oh well, soon enough. Soon enough. Yeah, yeah. So, um, with We Were Liars being such a, a mystery type of book, and it being a shift from what you had previously written, do you plan on kind of continuing in that vein with mystery or? Not comedy, necessarily. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a mystery. I would call it a... Well, I'd call it... No, I'm not going to call it a Okay. Um, <laughs> so I just lied then? Yes. Yeah, that was, a, a, lot. That was a, a lie. That was a lot of mystery. That's a lie. It's a lie. Um, genuine fraud is very much of a piece with We Were Liars okay. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming out in September 2017 and it is a psychological thriller uh, about two young women um, both of whom identify as orphans both of whom are simultaneously desperately looking for ways to make a home for themselves it's about a friendship Um, it's also a tale told backwards it has a lot of blood in it, and just state this. And it also has fifteen hotels. Wow. I counted them at some point because I was looking for I a title. Like I thought, uh-huh. Maybe I can count up these hotels and it will sound good, but it didn't. Um, <laughs> and my editor said, "That sounds like fifteen hotels to have sex in every single one of them, and this is not that kind of a book. So it's not a porn." Okay, um, we're good. I'm just going to make that, that clear not, in case good. you were worried that's that we good. were liars. It's also not. a yeah. porno. It's, I'm telling the truth. It is not a porno. Um, so, yeah, it's not a porno. And, uh, yeah, there's blood and hotels. And, um, yeah, it, and it's very referential, mm-hmm. which I think We Were Liars is too. And I can say that without um, giving away too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, got this doctorate in... 19th century novel mm-hmm. and then I didn't really have anything to do with that right. whole bunch of stuff that I had studied literary criticism and 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 not just 19th century novel but you know Edwardian novels and and and, and 20th century novels and, and 18th century novels <laughs> and uh, you know all the novels so um for a long time I didn't feel like I was using that very much mm-hmm. in my life as a storyteller uh, I was thinking about storytelling architecture in some ways that I'd learned to think about it, but I wasn't very much using it. And and in We Were Liars and in Genuine Fraud, um, I feel like both of those books are in some ways almost palimpsests of references. Mm-hmm. And at least as I feel them as the mm-hmm. as the author of them, you know, there's you know there's like some Patricia Highsmith in there, and then there's some some Pygmalion in there, and then there's some. Uh, you know, Great Expectations is in there and House of Mirth is in there and, you know, it's just like all of these things and then oh, also the Hulk is in there <laughs> and yeah, I you know, it goes high-low. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, to me, it's a book that came from my love of 
of stories that go from you know from Great Expectations mm-hmm. to to The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> you well, you had me at Great Expectations. You probably have no way of knowing this, but. Very recently, I went on a Dickensian rant on our podcast. Oh, did you? No, just I that I think people should read more Charles Dickens, and I was I I had no frame of reference to why I was yelling. She I don't even let, remember. Jill just <laughs> let me do it. I was just like, and more people should read a Tale of Two Cities, and she's just looking. Tale at me of like, Two Cities is the worst one, but it's still it's uh, the worst one. Okay. Don't listen to him. <laughs> my point don't in start general, with that book. Uh, my point was that people should read more Charles Dickens. <laughs> I don't think I sold that point. Don't start with hard times either just because it's the shortest because that is also one of the boringest (laughs) ones. So what would you recommend then? Well, Great Expectations is definitely my favorite, but I also recommend David Copperfield. And um, our mutual friend is surprisingly amazing, but it is really, really, really long. But I think for beginner Dickens, I would go with those two. Okay. All right. I will... (laughs) begrudgingly say thank you for the recommendations um by the way 15 hotels to me sounds like it could be a monopoly novel which i would also i would also read i was trying to do the math while you were talking about how many on each side there are and i think it might be five each and then you get anyway sorry i'm a oh it's just a different book well you can have that title for your own well well it's just the three of us here so no one will hear this it'll be totally fine um, except for all the listeners except for all the listeners. like well shh they don't need to know somebody about this somebody needs to write that book yeah um, so you actually kind of mentioned this a little bit before about young adult you know we were saying you write for a certain genre but it's not really by age you know everyone in the world reads young adult novels what do you think it is about YA books that enable them to be embraced by so many different types of people I do have a I have a theory about this um, which I kind of snagged from hearing Andrew Smith talk on mm-hmm. a panel, and he spoke about it very insightfully. Which is that I think that young adult as a genre, you know, is fundamentally concerned with coming of age. Mm-hmm. And that includes adolescence and emerging sexuality and separation from family of origin and uh, the process of, you know, kind of defining one's moral code for oneself Mm -hmm. in the process of that separation. So this is a major life event, Mm -hmm. the same way that marriage, for example, is a major life event. And we have a whole genre that is around, you know, leading up to finding one's life partner and then eventually getting married. It's Mm -hmm. called romance, (laughs) in case you weren't sure. Then also murder. We have more than one. Yes. You know, um, yeah. um, genre that centers around um, killing and death, mm-hmm. right? We have we have novels of grief, but we all, then those get to be called literary novels, maybe. But we also have <laughs> you know um, uh, mysteries and thrillers and mm-hmm. westerns and all of these, which are you know about that that edge between life and death, mm-hmm. and 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 what confronting that you know means sure. for our own life stories. So, yeah, life, death, and adolescence. Like, those are the, you know, yeah. child... Maybe we need a childbirth um, genre. I, we don't really have a childbirth no, we don't genre. Really have a, no, but, no. but those are, you know, big things about, um, you know, marriage, death, and, and, and you know, this adolescent... Front, yeah. Um, so... I'm not being very articulate. Maybe no, you know. maybe you will edit your podcast and make me sound smarter. But what I'm trying to say is that YA fiction is concerned with this major 
part of human existence in the same way that other genres are concerned with this major part of human existence. And that is why I think people who are no longer young still find themselves interested in those stories Mm -hmm. because it is just a very interesting time of life. We've asked that question of multiple YA authors. That might be my favorite answer. Absolutely, yeah. So you are very articulate. Yeah, I completely agree. But we are always fascinated just like, because I, Yeah, because we all, like, especially our coworkers, love YA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read it. It's not my main one, but we have coworkers. Like, that's all they read mm-hmm. is YA novels. And so we're always just interested in yeah. why authors who write YA think adults still continue to read it. Yeah. And so you nailed it. You did? Oh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually sort of speaking about young adults, on your website you have resources for students and then teachers who are using your books in curriculum that sort of we don't see that very often on websites for authors so why do you sort of include that information there for them to access well I wrote a book a while ago called the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks Mm -hmm. which uh, came out in 2008 and until we were liars it was my most popular book and that book I found was being taught a lot There were a number of school systems that had me in and did one book, one school reads Mm -hmm. of it. Um, And it kept popping up on, you know, people would tell me that it was on curricula and so forth. So I became kind of more conscious of the way that that book was being used in schools and wanted to give some resources to teachers and to students who might be using it. And then from there, I just got interested in it. And so for We Were Liars, I asked Random House if they would make a teacher's guide Mm -hmm. for it, which is a kind of standard thing that that Mm -hmm. children's publishers do, but only for certain titles. And they don't always do it for what they might have considered a commercial title. Mm -hmm. So I asked. They were very nice, and they did it right away, and they're doing one for Genuine Fraud as well. Um, But that means, you know, it has to get kind of get on their radar as something that might be, Mm -hmm. you know, used in a classroom in some way. Um, and I love it when my books are used in classrooms because I really, you know, I I went to school to analyze literature yeah. and I find it a fascinating thing to talk about. Right. So I guess I just, you know, I would like people to be talking about them in that way as sure. well as just reading them yeah. for enjoyment. Uh, I don't need to hear what they're saying. Like they, <laughs> they can discuss amongst themselves. But I like the idea that there's arguments and conversations and analysis going on. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to foster yeah. that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, so, given a that we're sitting in a library and a lot of librarians listening to our podcast, we're a library company. And actually, at the time of this recording, next week is National Library Week. Do you have any thoughts about this kind of the importance of libraries, or maybe a fond memory of a library growing up? Anything positive you would like to say about? I have the nothing library positive world? to say about libraries. <laughs> um, yes, I well, I grew up in Seattle in my teenage years, and. Uh, I had, this was probably when I was a freshman in in high school. I went to high school um, in one neighborhood and I had to take a bus and then get off in the downtown of Seattle and wait for another bus that would take me back to my home. And there was always this big gap of like 45 minutes before the bus would come. And 
there was a McDonald's and I would eat chick, chicken McNuggets <laughs> and then I then I would get bored. And the Seattle Public Library is right there. Now mm-hmm. it's now this like amazing, I think it's a Rem Cool House building. Yeah, it amazing. was just a regular building back then. But it was just a couple blocks over. So I would go over and I would miss my bus. Mm-hmm. And then I would miss the next bus. <laughs> and I never even got a library card. But I was in that library like three days a week mm-hmm. after school, you know, kind of greasy from chicken McNuggets and, and <laughs> reading. And I would read... I was a ballet student at the time, and I read all the ballet books. I read, like, the biography of Maria Talchief and, and books about Baryshnikov and Gelsey Kirkland and all these great dancers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also checked uh, at my home library. I would check out um, collections of, like, the great plays, going back to our theater conversation, mm-hmm. great plays of, like, 1952. And there would be a <laughs> compilation of, like, the, you know, six... Mm-hmm. Broadway I shows. I from, used to read yeah, that. <laughs> and I remembered that I read Applause, which I think was a Broadway show that starred Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what else. I, I know read. exactly what you're talking about. When yeah. I was, I worked as a page in in the high school. When I was in high school, and I would shelve books, and I'd always like look for those books and be like reading plays. And yes, the they were great. You could mm-hmm. read them pretty fast, mm-hmm. you know. And they were, and they would have photographs from yep. the productions. And so, anyway, I would hang out in the Seattle Public Library and miss my bus. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So um, aside from ballet biographies and plays, did you read anything else growing up? Yeah, well, there was, you know, some great YA fiction um, that was kind of the first wave of YA fiction that was labeled as YA um, at that time. So I read, you know, Judy Bloom and Paul Zindel and Emmy Kerr and Essie Hinton and, you know, all of those mm. people Paula Danzinger, mm. people whose work was classic, yeah. classic now. And then I read, uh, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was the best book that I ever, <laughs> I could not believe that book existed. It was so fantastic. Yeah. And that really changed my life, not in any like concrete way, but just like there was this enjoyment from reading mm-hmm. that I I had not yet. I always loved books, and I was like, oh, I could love them even more. Right. <laughs> this is so great. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Essie Hinton. I think The Outsiders was like the first book that I would continuously go back to from like third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. I'd be like, I haven't read this in a while, but yeah. That, fine. Wait, you read The Outsiders in third grade? Yeah. Dude. Well, we've had so many authors and people tell us that they read Stephen King's It when they were like nine and ten. So I don't think I'm that weird. <laughs> But I also... I didn't say you were weird. I just said dude. Well, I'll, that's, <laughs> that's fair. True. That's true. Um, I know you don't have a lot of time left, but at the end of our podcast, we like to do... We call them rapid fire. It's our nerd nine. Just nine quick questions. Okay. So the first one is, what's the last book you finished? This is why it's never rapid fire. <laughs> I have about 17 books that I am in the middle of. What's, what's one of the 17 books you're in the middle of? How about that? Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. Oh, mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Bed. Do you have a Which guilt- is why I don't finish <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a guilty pleasure? I feel no guilt about my pleasures. Perfect. Uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Tibet. Do you have a favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee. Cats or dogs? Cats. Yes. Wow. wow. Favorite food? Guacamole. Ooh, that's a good one. And then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? 
That's a toughie, but I'm going to say David Sedaris. That's a really That's a good, good one. answer. I feel like he would be good to have dinner with. Yeah. Whereas there's other writers who I admire tremendously who might not be so nice to have dinner <laughs> And then our last question for you before we let you go. What do you hope readers take away from reading your stories? I am really just trying to get the inside of my brain on the page uh-huh. in some way that will connect with other people. You know? Yeah. I don't... Like, I think you could put them inside of your brain on the page in a way that doesn't connect with other people. And that's like, you know, journaling or masturbating or something. Mm -hmm. But, which is not to make, no judgment, but that's what that is, Mm -hmm. you know. And then writing fiction is putting the inside, or or essays or whatever, is putting the inside of your brain on the page in a way that's trying to connect with Mm -hmm. somebody. And therefore, it's more like having sex with that person rather than (laughs) just masturbating. So, um that's... I love this <laughs> answer just... so much. <laughs> this is why I write young and old, because this is how my brain works. Oh, is... So, um, uh... yeah, I, I'm trying to make that... that con- I want to make a connection, but uh-huh. I don't need them to take a message away. Sure. I'm just trying to, like, share what's in me that's human uh-huh. in a way that is entertaining and interesting for other people, and then they can find... bring their humanness to it. Sure. I loved this so much. Yes. E, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.